0: Welcome to episode number 23 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. We're looking at creating a worldwide community around workplace safety and industries handling combustible dust. Today's episode, we're doing an interview with Jeff Nichols, Managing Partner at Industrial Fire Prevention, based out of Georgia. And we're talking about the hierarchy of controls and how that applies to combustible dust safety. In the interview, we actually kind of get into some back and forth about some different topics related to combustible dust. But throughout, you can really get a sense of, of Jeff's um, immense knowledge on the topic, and and just how many different tips and ideas and concepts that he's seen and and was able to share. So we did go a little bit off topic from the hierarchy controls, and we may have to come back and and revisit some specific elements because that may be even too big of a topic for one episode. But I encourage you to listen through to the end because this one is definitely jam packed with a, a bunch of other material, folks around combustible safety, everything from some tips on where you can see where hot bearings are in your facility, through to the best way to look at unloading and loading trucks at the, the bagging end of your facility and, and everything in between. So as always, I appreciate you listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. I know you're gonna to enjoy today's interview with Jeff. Welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. In today's episode, we're doing an interview with Jeff Nichols, Managing Partner at Industrial Fire Prevention out of Millsville, Georgia. I told Jeff before the show that I was going to mess that up. Um, he can correct me when when he comes on. But Jeff has almost 30 years experience in combustible dust fire and explosion safety. It started back in 1990. He's also the facilitator of the Combustible Dust Policy Institute group on LinkedIn. Um, and he actually has a, has a book, uh, an ebook, in the space, The Ultimate Guide to Fire and Explosion Prevention, How to Keep Your Plant from Blowing Up and Burning Down. So Jeff, I want to say thank you for coming on the show today and, and sharing your knowledge and experience
1: with the community. Of course, I'm excited
0: about it. Awesome. So I actually first met Jeff back. Well, I met him virtually back in 2017. Um, that was before Dust Safety Science even existed. We were running, was running off my my uh, PhD research blog, which was my com. And Jeff was actually or Industrial Fire Prevention was actually our first newsletter sponsor. So the first company that supported our work through advertising, for for lack of a better word, in our newsletter, and that really gave us a, an idea that. Um, what we were doing at some value and, and along with him and some others of our kind of early supporters really are, are what drove us down the road to creating the combustible less instant database and really this podcast today. So I, I just want to publicly thank Jeff on the, on the show here because that early support is, is really what sparked and, and this wouldn't really happen today without support of him and, and the others early on. So, so thank you, Jeff.
1: You're welcome. Wow. That's really cool. I didn't know I was first, but I'm glad to do it. That's for sure anything we can do to help promote uh, safety in this industry i'm all for
0: certainly so with that I, we had jeff do some guest articles um early on on the on the blog and in that he talked about uh, protecting of biomass facilities from fire and explosion hazards um, and in that article he, he talks about the hierarchy of controls and applying that to combustible dust so the hierarchy of controls are ranking different solutions different equipment and different control methods in really order of effectiveness in a processing facility. And I wanted to get Jeff on the, the show today, on the podcast, to discuss how that could apply to combustible dust, take his really his 30 years of experience and condense that down into the next 20, 25 minutes so that the audience can really get a, a good feel for that. So Jeff, maybe before we jump into the hierarchy controls and, and the dust safety aspect, maybe we'll take a, a bit of time to briefly go through how and when you got into combustible dust safety.
1: Sure, sure basically i started uh, working for a sheet metal outfit out on the west coast eugene oregon uh back in the late 70s started sweeping floors and uh stocking shelves and at the time i was going to school uh, night school uh to become an electronics technician and so uh this sheet metal outfit was involved in in manufacturing dust collectors and dust collection systems and so they started importing a uh, spark detection system from Europe into the United States. And I was the second employee they hired for that division. So I was, uh, I've was i been involved in spark detection, extinguishment, and, and, and other engineering controls ever since.
0: Okay, so that is even, even earlier than the 1990. Yeah, yeah. Can you explain a bit about your role today with industrial fire prevention, how that's kind of evolved from that uh, early role?
1: Yeah, my main function today is a manufacturer's rep. I sell other people's equipment. I also get involved in, in consulting and education and training. You know, do some dust hazard analysis stuff. But really, uh, my whole focus is on um, making people aware of their dust, combustible dust problems, and presenting solutions to uh, keep keep them from, you know, creating fires and explosions in the process.
0: Yeah, and I'd recommend we'll we'll put a link through to where people can find that that uh, guide to fire and explosion prevention, how to keep your plant from blowing up and burning down. Because I I read through that early a number of years ago, and and I was pretty impressed with the the wealth of knowledge that that Jeff shared there.
1: Well, I've read a lot of books on the subject. Had a lot of education on the subject, you know, dust explosions in the process industries and explosion hazards in the process industries. All the technical books that you would have read as a PhD also but what i wanted to do was boil it down and create the layman's guide to helping keep people from burning down and blowing up their plants and that's pretty much what that book is for if, you know the frontline guys who who don't really have the education don't really understand what they're working around uh, this this kind of gives them a an idea of what they're working around and what the problems are and how to how to solve them
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense and it's much it's it's much needed as we continue to see right there's there's different levels of awareness there's different levels of understanding of the hazards and and I just had a great discussion actually in the, the last episode, um, which would have been episode 22 of the podcast with with Chris Justo. And we, we talked a bit there about how we really need to start simplifying the language around combustible dust safety so that we can get those, you know, lay, we'll, we'll call them less technical people or people that, you know, don't have a PhD in the topic because they're actually the ones that are most impacted and can also put the most processes in
1: place. Yeah. I want the, the maintenance managers, the the production managers, I want them to understand what they're working with and, you know, how to prevent these and explosions without going into great technical detail that you or I might understand, but you know, they would fall asleep trying to read at night.
0: Right. So then we're going to put you to the test here, Jeff, because our our topic is the hierarchy (laughs) of controls. So we we need to put this in a, in a, in a simplest approach that we can, but maybe we'll start off on our, on our topic. What is, what is the hierarchy of controls
1: oh good i, I love simplifying stuff because that's how i think and that's how i communicate when i'm when i'm at these plants basically a hierarchy of controls would be how do we what we're, we're going to go from the most effective type of design engineering and controls to the least effective we're gonna we're going to talk about how do we eliminate or substitute the risk or how do we transfer the risk and then we're going to move to our engineering controls how do we reduce you know the probability of occurrence and the severity of the consequences. How do we isolate the the um, the the frontline worker from those hazards, and then we're going to move to you know the some of the least effective but still important administrative controls and and proper protection equipment and that kind of stuff?
0: Yeah, I think that's a good overview of it. And if you think of it as a a lot of time, you'll see it as an inverted triangle. So your base, your' most effective is is elimination. What well, you don't have can explode. So that's the old Trevor Kletz quote. Do we need to have a storage silo storing our raw material, or can we make our process more efficient so that we don't we don't need that backup material? Um, Any substitution? Can we use maybe a larger particle size distribution, a a um, less volatile, less reactive material? Engineering controls, administrative controls, and personal protection equipment. Now at the the kind of least effective end. So putting on some fire retardant overalls. But the the problem, and, and Jeff will probably get into this, is that when you actually go to apply your controls, most people think in the opposite direction than the, they think least effective to most, right? So there's a great picture of this in in uh, Trevor Kletz's autobiography, which is called By Accident: A uh, Life Preventing Them. And we we um, reviewed that in the the um, the book club for dust safety science. But he has a picture of a a big acetylene tank, so liquid flammable. Um, flammable liquid, and they have a an engineer sitting there looking at. It. I think this is the 50s or the 60s. And he's sitting on one-legged stool so he doesn't fall asleep because he's supposed to be watching the gauges. So that's a that's an administrative control, having him sitting there and, and and just watching over the process. Where elimination would be actually having, or even substitution or minimization, would be having a smaller tank, not needing the the uh, flammable flammable liquid and and the processes. They actually don't even have that sort of tank involved anymore.
1: And then also autom- automating the process instead of having a, a human monitoring it.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, so that's the old, that's the hierarchy of controls from your experience, Jeff. How does this play out in in facilities handling combustible dust? What is it? What does it look like?
1: Oh man, that's what I deal with every day, day in and day out. It's really the only thing I focus on is combustible dust and how do we prevent these fires and explosions. You know, a lot of people, you know, you look at a at a at a at a factory you see this beautiful building, you see this beautiful process inside. It might have been designed by an efficiency expert, but but do they really have a safe design? And I think it starts with the, you know, with the design and the bid process. Those are some big areas where we can where we can affect design and safety, but they're really overlooked. Are we are we looking for the lowest bid on this project? Or are we looking to build in safety? And are we looking at inherently safer design? So Another thing, I uh, a problem I see in a lot of these industries is technology transfer. We know how to make wood fiber, wood dust, and wood, wood particulate and wood particles and wood chips. From the 70s and 80s, we've been doing that in the in the in the plywood and the OSB and then the particle board and then the fiberboard industries. But then when they when these biomass plants started being built. That technology transfer wasn't there, and so people, all these different companies started coming in designing biomass plants, and that's why they're all different. Uh, a lot of that technology, especially a lot of the safety technology, wasn't included in, in the beginning of these new biomass and wood pellet plants. So that's kind of a, you know, overview of how I look at a plant. Other people see the design and the process. I walk in, and all I see are the combustible dust hazards and the ignition hazards, and that's really what I focus. On.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of good points there, and I mean the the technology transfer between similar industries is a big piece there.
1: Yeah, I think, it, and I think it begins with design.
0: Yeah, and bringing in the right people for you know to help the people that have seen the other the other facilities involved and the other safety hazards involved. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, for sure. I see uh, I see efficiency experts being brought in to design the process. I don't see a lot of uh, uh, engineering. Looking at inherently safer ways to do things, or eliminating, and substituting, and isolating, and separating—like we talked about in the beginning. So I think it begins with the design.
0: Yeah, I was going to say we we mentioned inherent safety, so I just want to put a definition on that. Inherent safety is, uh, I mean, Trevor Kletz has a lot of textbooks on this, so again, he's a, he's a, he's the resource, um, and we'll have some links to that. But so inherent safety is is this concept of well, elimination is a good example of it. So what you don't have can't explode. So if you don't have the, the material, it's inherently safer than if you have the material and you put in an administrative control. I was wondering, have you seen maybe some success stories of, of some companies that have done it right? And obviously you don't need to name names or share anything proprietary, but some, some examples of where an inherently safer design was chosen over a one that's required protective gear, or administrative controls or something?
1: Not really. I hate to say it, but they usually develop over time and become inherently safer. It's like, oh, well, we've got these these joists and trusses that that are collecting dust. How do we avoid that? How do we how do we smooth these out? How do we cover them up to keep them from collecting dust? How do we, uh, you know, do we, do we add fans to keep to keep a, uh, an air barrier up here and keep the dust down low? Or do we increase the efficiency of our dust collection systems? You know, all that stuff comes in later. And then they look at class division, okay, well, the motors that we originally put in and the and the and the uh, switch boxes and all this switch gear and stuff is, is it is it you know is it really class division accurate or should we do something better
0: that's a good that's a good point as well and are, are most of the facilities that you're working in these days biomass facilities or, or wood handling facilities?
1: no uh, for instance, today uh on my desk are a carpet pad. From operation where they're recycling foam rubber to make carpet pad, uh, another composite wood products, uh, peanut shells, paper, office furniture, biomass uh, coffee project I'm um, bidding um, uh, food and cereal uh, grinding, and then another large building products manufacturer. and that's just today
0: okay, so pretty wide pretty wide range then
1: yeah, 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 all combustible dust related that's that's my whole focus
0: and From that, do you see there are there differences, many differences between those different industries or is the approach quite similar?
1: The approach is similar. I'm looking for combustible dust hazards. I'm looking for ignition hazards. The processes might be quite different from, you know, food and cereal and and coffee and tobacco and places and and personal products and, and chemicals where you've got to have an absolutely clean environment. So there's not as many combustible dust hazards, but they're still either using combustible dust or powders or chemicals or their processes creating a combustible byproduct so it's all similar in that there there I'm looking for combustible dust issues and and ignition issues
0: from the ignition side i guess where would that fit into the hierarchy of controls uh- from your view,
1: oh uh, well, that's where we get into the engineering controls. You know, after we've looked at how is it possible to eliminate the hazard? How do we eliminate, remove, substitute, or transfer the risk? Uh, how do we, you know, then we look at how do we separate, segregate, or isolate the hazard and those kind of things. And then back to design, uh, they they may go out to bid when they're originally building the plant on a let's say a, a hammer mill and a biomass plant, and it's sitting on a rather large plenum where the material is dropping out of the hammer mill into a screw down below, but in the middle is a plenum full of combustible dust, a dust cloud. And then on the end, they might mount a dust collector. Well, to me, that is a a bomb, really. And I see these inside biomass plants all the time. Where an inherently safer design would be to remove the dust collector outside and protect it individually. And we still got, you know, spark protection, extinguishment, explosion protection down here on the uh, underneath the hammer mill on the plenum itself. Where we're we're detecting anything coming out of there and dropping it into the material, we're also detecting and extinguishing anything coming and and being pulled through the airstream. So,
0: yeah, that's a good example. Do you have any other examples of of how this this whole process can be applied? Like in so you mentioned a a uh, uh, biomass facility, but say in a, a coffee grinding operation. Are there some other tips on on better designs?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, it's the same. Same kind of thing where you've got a, uh, you're either roasting or grinding, or, and in these these applications you can't really use water efficiently like you can in wood to to suppress, and then it causes problems with, uh, with bacteria and, and mold and stuff in the process. So you've got to really design these things critically, looking at the 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 issue of uh, where are we creating combustible dust and where are the possible spark sources and how do we isolate and segregate and separate those, and usually we'll use uh, spark traps or diverters or other other things that we can deal with the spark, eliminate, eliminate it out of the process and then suppress it or send it to us in a safer place to to process.
0: And what are they using besides water for, for suppression there?
1: Well, a lot of times we'll divert any hazards out of the process. You know, We use a, some high-speed diverter gates that operate about 150 milliseconds and they can close back and they can keep going production. The whole thing I'm trying to do in in my business is, is protect their process the best it can be protected without affecting production, unless there is an upset condition like a fire. So we want to eliminate these sparks and embers and anything out of the process without affecting production. So how are we going to do that? Can we use water? Can we use? Can we suppress it with CO2? Can we just divert it out of the process to a dumpster and, and let it go into wet sand, or should we suppress it in this duct as it's being? sent out that way there's a there's a lot of different ways in different industries we deal with this stuff depending on what the process is and what what uh, what the product is
0: yeah i can tell just by the the way you talk that there's a that you have a substantial amount of of knowledge of the the number and type and variety of materials and equipment and facilities that you've seen over the years just just by the way you kind of rattle them rattle them off is there a can we think of a maybe a specific example of of a case where you went in and, and it was really not hitting some of these key points on the hierarchy of controls?
1: Oh boy. I can think of a lot of cases up.
0: And you, you only get to choose one maybe for now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, off the top of my head, I'm walking through a, uh, a hardwood flooring plant recently and you know we're kind of we're doing a dust hazard analysis really. I'm pointing out issues that they've got because they're They've got a lot of automation. They're real proud of the process and how efficient it is. But I'm looking at these robots handling material, and I can see where they're, you know, they're using suction to suck up the material and stack it and sort it and saw it. But I can see the exhaust from these robots blowing combustible dust, and there's there's like a film on the on the ceiling and on the ductwork and on the uh, wiring and cable trays and stuff. I'm, I'm pointing this out to them. They're like, oh wow, we didn't even notice that. So there's a dust hazard there. Um, is there ignition hazard possibly? And then we walk outside in the same plant, and then all oh, also in the in the in the HVAC system, I can see where they're sucking in combustible dust and blowing it out in the exhaust. You can see where it's leaving uh, uh, traces on the walls and and uh, the exhaust vents, and then we go outside. And I see where they're dumping everything from their dust collection systems into a bin, a truck bin, and a truck's driving underneath there, and it's unloading, and that combustible dust, and it's open, and the combustible dust is just going everywhere. And I say, "Hey, is that truck running?" And they're like, "Oh, wow, I don't know." And so I see a truck enveloped in a dust cloud that's running. So it's just you know, little things like that 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 I don't I don't I don't remember what the question was. I don't know if I answered it, <laughs> but that's just one one. One process I was walking through, and I saw several instances that they should be aware of.
0: The truck, actually, the loading-unloading kind of scenario, that's a, a good one that I'm not sure we discussed on the podcast before. What are some best practices when doing I mean, shutting off the truck sound, seems like a, a reasonable best practice, but is there anything else that should be done?
1: Yeah, you can put curtains around that thing. Keep the dust contained to just the you know dumping it into the, into the, in the truck itself. Uh, there's se- several things they could do
0: what else might it include
1: all that you, you know you might put a, a suction system in there to pull the pull the dust out as, it, as it's being loaded and put it back into the dust collector kind of a recirculating system there's there's a lot of options they can do it's just uh, a matter of time and expense and getting to it and what the priority is you know you when you're when you're walking through these plants you're really creating the risk matrix you're looking at the um the possibility of uh Probability of occurrence really versus the severity of consequences, you know, the damage that you can create. Is there, you know, is, is there an ignition source in the HVAC system? Not really. Is there an ignition source in these, in these uh, robots that were sucking up dust? Not really. But outside, yeah. <laughs> so that might be a higher, higher uh, uh, item we want to look at in our risk matrix, you know, and, and look at uh, fixing that sooner rather than later
0: that's makes a lot of sense and it's a good way to think about it i think maybe we'll we'll close off on on just asking is there any you know any open challenges that you see in in combustible safety sort of systemic or systematic things that, that you think we could we could tackle over the next one or five years let's say five years one year is pretty short
1: <laughs> yeah 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 i i i refer back to the csb study that they did in 2008 and 9 that you know they looked at a lot of couple handfuls of combustible dust instances, and what they found was people really weren't aware of the hazards or how to address them. So that's still what we see today. You know, we see uh, people change, processes change, product mixes change, and there's there's not a lot of management of that change, you know? And there's still housekeeping issues. There's a there's a big building products manufacturer I was walking through recently that Real proud. The safety guy was taking me around, saying, "Look how clean this facility is. It's really great." And we're looking at a guy. Yeah, this—he's welding over here, and this is a—he's arc welding. This is a real, you know, this is his confined space that he's arc welding. And but he's about twenty feet from the process, the line, the layup line where they're where they're laying up wood fiber. And we walk under the line, and we go to the other side. And here's a guy creating a dust cloud by sweeping and cleaning up. Yeah, we're real proud. We keep this place clean. And I'm looking back and forth, thinking, "I'm, I'm hoping this. Dust cloud doesn't meet this arc welding over here on the other side of the process. And you know, I'm just, just, I think it's being aware of the product, the, the problems. One of the, one of the biggest things I think somebody can do is just walk through a plant. One of the best tools is just walking through a plant, maybe a new set of eyes, looking at your process and saying, Hey, you know, have you considered this or have you looked at, you know, your ignition sources here? Can we eliminate those? A lot of times uh, I walk through with a, just a simple, cheap, infrared temperature gun and I can point at bearings that are, might be getting excessively hot. I can I can point at a at a dryer system that's sending wood chips and I can point at the elbow and say, hey, that elbow's a lot cooler than the rest of Duck Rick. You've probably got material building up in there. Just little little things that somebody walking around can can actually pinpoint. So it's it's really observing the bustle dust uh, hazards and ignition hazards and and being proactive in, in addressing them.
0: That's a, that's a good tip. I never thought about the temperature gun, but that's a, as an example
1: to show. It's just simple, easy stuff that most people aren't going to think about, but it's, it can really you know, make a big difference. If you're not monitoring your bearings for temperature, run time, and speed, then, then at least somebody should be walking around and, and you know, checking them with a, with a gun frequently or, or periodically.
0: And if someone's not, then I'm sure when you go in and do it with the gun, you can find some hot ones.
1: Well, usually they call me after they've had a hot bearing that created a fire and sent that fire up a conveyor into a, a storage bin, and then they call me and say, "Hey, you got anybody who can put a storage bin fire out?" I, yeah, I got a guy, but these are not easy fires to put out.
0: Yeah, I've I've had some discussions recently with some different some different groups that have have talked about that, and really they're saying with certain materials and certain types of materials, if you have a fire, most of the time they either they either um, had the bin collapse when they try to actually put it out, or they, they actually have a, have set off an explosion. They're struggling to say, you know, what's the the right way. And there, there is a, a resource by Henry Persons on on fighting fire silo fires using nitrogen, um, either put in lances or built in. And we'll include that in the show notes as well because that's a that's an interesting read, and I like it because it's good for first responders to know and understand the hazards a bit. Because a lot of the time, what we is that the first responders are the ones that are getting you know one-third of the injuries or, or so um, and and some of the fatalities from from these explosions from battling a fire and and having it either backflash or cause an explosion within a piece of equipment or or whatnot so we've seen a number of cases of that
1: boy that's a such a good point i see a lot of cases of that in the field as well and. You know, there's a a bin in a fire, or a, a fire in a bin, or a dust collector, and or, or some kind of storage. And they and fire department. A lot of times, these plants are in rural areas, and the fire departments are volunteer fire departments. So they're not trained in combustible dust, and they'll go in there, open it up, create a flash fire, and get hurt. So, you're exactly right on that.
0: Yeah, it's good. Well, I'm I'm working on a on a on a book chapter. It won't come out for a while because it's a multi-author book, and um, I guess is probably six months at least from now, but. Um, I put a section in there on open challenges on response to fires as being a being a, a, a real issue, both because a lot of a lot of workers are injured that way. You get a, a fire in your in your milling machine or in your dryer, or in your cat mill, whatever it is. Um, you go look at it, open it up, spray it, disturb the dust, and you get a flash fire and explosion. Um, and then first responders are are a, a big case of that. And we've had unfortunately a couple of fatalities already this year in north america and and elsewhere in the world from of firefighters responding to to dust fires that's it's a important topic i think
1: it really is i spend every day making sure the american worker goes home safe and that's that's another point that we need to address as our our first responders they need the training as well
0: well um that's a that's a we're we're leaving off with a a really big open challenge and that's even a, a challenge to the community let's come up with a solution to figure that out and I know the awareness piece, the education piece, connecting the the correct people um, is is all, all along with the mission of what we're trying to do. And I know that uh, folks like yourself are, are boots on the ground out there walking these facilities every day and trying to make them safer. So we, we really appreciate that.
1: Oh, man, I appreciate you and everything you're doing for this industry and, and education. And it's really an honor to be on the podcast with you.
0: Excellent. Well, I think we will have to have you on in a future time and maybe we'll pick one of the many tips that you you've given and, and dive deeply into them because i think uh, there's there's a lot more that could be hidden on it and a deep dive into some of these topics
1: good well, i'm happy to do it anytime all
0: right thanks jeff and you you have a great day and i appreciate it
1: you too thank you chris
0: so that was a really fun interview with jeff and to be honest it was it was very similar to most of the phone conversations i've had with him about combustible dust safety where it's just sort of spitballing back and forth, the, the many, many different things that we see um, and have come across in, in different controls and safety processes for combustible dust, and really highlight a lot of the gaps, a lot of the things that we, we need to address and need to look at address with education, with awareness, but also then a lot of tips on actual technical things you can do in your facility to, to recognize and start to control these hazards. Any of the resources that we mentioned in the podcast episode, you can find at dustsafetyscience.com 23 for this episode, and that will include a a link to where you can get uh, Jeff's uh, book, The Ultimate Guide to Fire and Explosion*, Mention on Amazon. I also mentioned that if you'd like just a physical copy of that or um, a a free copy, just email him. His his contact information will be in the show notes, so you can go there. If you have any questions or comments, please leave them at the, the bottom of the page in the comments section of the show notes. If you have any questions of things that we haven't covered, either in this podcast or things you'd like to hear more about you can enter those and we'll talk about them on the podcast at dustsafetyscience.com ask as always i hope everyone has a safe and productive week ahead i just want to thank everyone for the role that they're playing in making industries handling combustible dust safer every day